Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. And I'm Mackenzie Smith. And it is so great to be back at it. Now it's our second week after our long summer break. And as we're going to talk about here in just a bit, the Supreme Court is also coming off of their long summer break, about ready to get back into action. But before we get there, Mackenzie, how are things going? I know you are running for a judge there in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, tell us what life is like on the campaign trail. And then I'm going to tell you what I am up to. And I just hope you don't kill me or throw something at me. I don't want to practice my dodging skills, but Hey, how are things going in Pennsylvania? <laughs> well, you're lucky that you're 1500 miles away. Um, yes. things are going, it's very busy. I, you know, you hear stories about people who decide to run for office and they just say, Oh, I just jumped into it. And I'm living that right now, and it's definitely an intense experience, and it's such a learning curve. I'm sitting here in my home office right now looking at um, about 100 lawn signs and a box full of mailers and wow. papers and charts and lists of people, and that's just kind of the way it is right now. We have mailers going out. We, I'm going to, um, I think seven events this weekend, um, knocking on doors, talking to people. It's really Missing babies. Yeah. <laughs> COVID. You got to avoid COVID. Oh you got to avoid COVID. So there are some complexities thrown in there. Mail-in voting is still very much a thing. So the timeline okay. has shifted around. Um, you know, you used to just have your eyes on the prize with election day, but now, you know, mail-in voting in Pennsylvania starts in just a couple weeks. So a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. People can vote for you here in just two weeks. Oh, I'm excited. Yes. Yep. And I, I did request my mail-in ballot. Um, so I will be very excited gonna... to fill out the bubble for myself. I can't wait for that moment. I just want to get nice. my ballot filled out and sent back in so that I can take that task off my plate and, you know, keep moving forward. But it's a lift. I mean, I'm I'm just a local candidate. Um, there are about 34,000 registered voters in my district in which I'm running. So it's not a huge, you know, we're not talking about a Senate election or anything like that. And I got to tell you, like, it's 34,000 people is a lot of people. Um, it is a lot. So it gives me a big appreciation for people who do this on a statewide or even a national scale. It's a heavy lift. It, it I got to really tell is. you, if you look at our national economy, probably one of the biggest contributors to our economy is, is election issues. Because it seems like whenever you run for election, you see all these ads, all these mailings, all these yard signs. If you watch TV, every other commercial is a political commercial or uh, campaign ad. And so uh, and have you got into the uh, television ads yet? Or is that something for, left for other offices? I have not gotten into television ads, but one thing local candidates very much take advantage of is digital advertising and social media. Okay. Um, it's a pretty easy and relatively cheap way to advertise. I personally, like, that's way above my pay grade. Like, I'm more, let's have a cup of coffee and I can tell you yes. my qualifications. I really believe in, like, to me... It's a job interview. I am asking these 34,000 voters to pay my salary. So to wow. me, they deserve to have an in-person interaction with me and ask me whatever they want. I totally reject the notion 
that judges aren't allowed to talk about any topics. That's just not true. Like, you I, are you, wait, 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 wait. you are going on the record right here on this podcast saying you reject the Ginsburg rule. I thought she was your idol, and now you're telling me you're rejecting the Ginsburg rule. All right, I would not have believed it if I didn't hear it with my own two ears. <laughs> well, there's a difference between. So it it is true that candidates for judicial office are not allowed to comment or opine on matters that may come before them in court. So I can't say like, oh, you know, I would set bail at X dollars for an attempted robbery. Like I certainly can't say that. I can't talk about, you know, this is how I would rule generally in landlord tenant cases like that. That's not appropriate. So I will say when you're in a confirmation hearing for the United States Supreme Court, like really pretty much anything could come before you subject matter wise. So that does apply a lot more. My court is much more of limited jurisdiction. So if people ask me, you know, what did you think about January 6th? Like that's not coming before me. That's not like there's no universe in which that is going to be within my jurisdiction. So to me, like that's fair game. If that, you know, I, I tell people that would never come before me. It's not what I'm running for. But if that's something you're interested in knowing in terms of what my personal values are, like, heck yes, let's have that conversation. I'm asking you to foot the bill to put me in office. Like, of course you deserve to know who I am. So, you know, know, I think those conversations are really important. And to me, even if I have fewer of them, I'd rather do that then just try to blast myself with some sound bites on social media and call it a day. Like that's not a campaign in my view. And you know, maybe I'm just saying this and I'm naive and I'll, you know, get shellacked. I don't know. That remains to be seen, but I really do enjoy the one-on-one conversations. I mean, voters have to know what is your position on Jalen Hurts starting for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, that is a pertinent <laughs> question to your position. Uh, yeah, but I got I got called BS a little bit on the Ginsburg rule. I was just having a little bit of fun with you there. I think it's ridiculous that this is the a, a huge job. A in what other job? What other industry are, are is the employer not allowed to ask questions of the potential employee about how they're going to do their job? It just at just some level that makes no sense. And I think the Ginsburg rule was born out of this anti borking fear. Like we don't want you to sabotage our our um, nomination, so we're just going to refuse to answer. That's I think how that whole idea was born. But nonetheless. Um, Hey, I'm glad to hear you're answering those questions. Since we brought up the topic, what is your position on Jalen Hurts starting for the Philadelphia Eagles? Do you <laughs> want to go on the record, or is that something that might come before you? Wait, who's my who's my fantasy quarterback? I can't. You know what, Joel? <laughs> I can't remember right now. I, I have no position on anything. I am not dialed into football this season all i know no. is that <laughs> okay you gotta draw the line somewhere because now i'm worried for your mental health that is that you you gotta draw the line somewhere football. it's really bad i had a buy the first week in our league so i really haven't been paying attention oh now i feel like i need to look it up because i, I want to know i i could not i can't i was there for the draft i personally drafted all my players i could not That's i could good. not name one of them for you i have no i just picked the people with the most points 
I started this last week, Aaron Rodgers. We're going to cover that in our court ba- or, um, courtroom quarterback section. Uh, but I started Aaron Rodgers, who had absolutely the worst game any returning MVP has ever had, laid a total egg. They had a QBR of, I think, 13. If they had a negative QBR, he would have gotten it. It was an abysmal <laughs> performance by um, Aaron Rodgers, and I lost my fantasy game by two points. But, hey, Next week, I hope we can do another podcast, but I'm going to tell you, if we do, I will be talking to you from Aruba. And so while you're out there slaving away, kissing babies, working the campaign trail, I'm going to be setting sail and cruising South America. And so I'm going to have a uh, probably a little bit better time than you. I don't know. Maybe you'd rather be um, uh, kissing babies on the campaign trail. But we're going to, we're going to try to podcast. I think it'd be kind of fun to to get that perspective of what the law is like out there in, in Aruba. Have you ever been to uh, South America? I have not the closest. I mean, I've been to the Caribbean a couple of places. Okay. I've been to Costa Rica, which I know is not South America. It's Central right, America. Right. It's that's getting about, close. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. That's right. Well, I, I, I'm not sure I've ever been there as well. I'll have to think about it because I've done cruising before down in Central America. I'm not sure we ever went to the tip of South America, but hey, I will be there next week, which leads us to, since we're talking about cruising, uh, actually, the the first topic I want to talk about here, that's going to be our second topic. The first topic is this. The Supreme Court is almost back in session. They are coming off of their summer break. They're getting back to the work, and they just announced recently that this upcoming term they will be going back to in-person arguments. And so the last year, you know, during COVID, they they did a, oral arguments via Zoom where they they weren't actually there in person. They were all, you know, um, uh, participating from their own homes. What do you think about that? Is that, uh, are you, is that a good development or are you going to regret them doing their um, courtroom by Zoom? No, I mean, I think it's good. And I it's interesting because I have two appellate arguments coming up in the next um, within the next two months. One is in the Pennsylvania Superior Court and one is in the Ninth Circuit, which is the one of the courts below right. directly below the Supreme Court. And both of those have recently moved to in-person as well. So I'm wondering whether it was just whether it was some kind of edict or the lower courts just followed the Supreme Court's guidance. But um it seems like all of them are in-person arguments without any spectators. So yes, I, I did right. go to the Supreme Court's website and you are not allowed to go in and observe the arguments, which is a real bummer because that's one of the like awesomest things about our court system is that everything is public and you can just walk in and you know, I guess with the U.S. Supreme Court, you usually have to wait in line if it's a big deal argument, but you can walk in off the street and kind of see what's going on. And it's, I I love that about our court system, that it is public. Um, So you, you do lose that still, but I understand there's very good reason for that. And I do think with the Zoom or, I mean, over the past year and a half, we've all been on so many Zoom calls, so right, many right. Zoom meetings. Number one, you just get so sick of it. I mean, you get sick of it. I love Zoom. It's a really fantastic tool, but you miss that human connection and everybody just kind of starts to sound monotone after a while. And I do think you lose something. I think there is something that's lost and it's intangible, but being in person and being able to look the judge directly in the eyes and, and communicate a point 
there's just something essential that's lost there when you're doing it remotely. Again, it was necessary and it's a very useful tool, but you know, for the highest court in the land, I like the idea of getting back to in person and you know, I feel like I'm losing my competitive advantage because I had an oral argument before the 11th circuit recently, and it was via zoom. And I, as you know, I have my setup here in my studio. I got a podcast. I got the podcast. I'm like, I got the best sound system out there. And I got a professional grade camera. Cause I do these CLE. So I have a whole studio set up with backdrop and professional lighting. And so I'm there in argument. It is incredible setup. And you know, everyone else just simply has their, little puny cameras that are on their laptop computers or some kind of you know thing like that and uh yeah i i when i we did the testing the um the courtroom administrator said wow you sound like a radio personality with your that booming voice i'm thinking well it's just really the microphone but hey it works for me i kid you not mckenzie i did oral argument there those that were the spectators said I was like twice as loud as everyone else i just had i boomed all over the courtroom we got a decision in less than 24 hours, three zero decision. We won. The lower court was reversed. I am sure it had nothing to do with my mic setup, but I got to tell you, I liked having that competitive advantage, but apparently now it's back to appearing in person and I'm going to, to lose that. Well, that's I don't know. like the fastest decision ever rendered in a circuit court. Like that's un- yeah. unheard of. The 11th circuit, less than 24 hours, I got the email saying there's been an opinion rendered. And I'm going, oh, crap, really? Did I lose that badly? Uh, I Actually, I kind of had a feeling we are going to win because it really went well for us. But nonetheless, yeah, less than 24 hours, we got the decision that is, I think, a record. Uh, but nonetheless, a couple of ideas as to why we are going back to... Uh, live in-person arguments. My best guess is the chief was probably embarrassed from what happened last year. You know what I'm talking about? He did not want Flushgate 2 this year. It was an embarrassing time for the court last year where during oral argument, we heard someone flush the, the toilet during live argument. As you and I surmised, probably Justice Breyer. We're just guessing from that. But nonetheless, apparently no more Flushgate. There will not be a repeat of that. Uh, so back, back to live in-person arguments. <laughs> Which I think means for the justices, no more oral arguments in their robes. Well, maybe they will wear the robes again this year. I I don't know, I guess. But you get the idea. They're going to have to dress up, (laughs) show up in court, and do their job. All right. We're talking about vaccines and about COVID. And so that brings me to my next point since I'm going cruising. We have now gone through, how long have we been through COVID? Is it a year and a half now? Yeah, Is that right? something like that. Almost, Almost two years, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's kind of been the, the standard living. Uh, and you and I, if you were to go back over those two years, we could see how we predicted the law would play out in regards to this COVID. It might be kind of interesting to pull up that old episode where we kind of predicted. But now let's kind of look back and see what is the law when it comes to vaccines and this whole immunization? I bring this up for a couple of reasons. One, this last week, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, announced it was not going to require its players to be vaccinated. So if you're an NBA player, you, know, you can play on a team, they're not going to require you to be vaccinated. But a lot of cities will require that. Uh, and so you're going to have this conflict. How does the law play out when it comes to 
requiring people to have a vaccine in order to have a job in that uh, locale, uh, in that business or in that location. So uh, has that ever come up to you in your practice where there's been a vaccine requirement and someone's job hung in the balance? No. And I like, first of all, it would seem to violate the presidential mandate. I, I got, have to assume that the NBA has over a hundred employees. So I don't know how they're, they're just defying that. But then to go into like a stadium in a city where it was required, I mean, I would imagine then you can't go to that stadium. I don't know. I mean, this is part of the this is part of the issue, right? Like it's so difficult to number one enforce, but also number two, even figure out what's required where. Right. I mean, it's, it's just the complexities are mind boggling. It is. So I try to unpack it. This is my best um, analysis of the situation. All right. So we're talking about requiring people to receive the vaccine in order to, to, uh, to, go in public places or to be employed. All right. The gut first, let's start with this premise. The government can impose laws in the interest of public health and wellness. That is a standard thing they can do. The government, the government is allowed to do that. We might not like that idea. We might think the government is overreaching in certain areas, but as a general rule, the government can enact laws and impose burdens on you in the interest of public health and safety. Now, what the government cannot do is discriminate. And so it can't say, look, these people over here have to follow the law, but these people over here in this category do not have to follow the law. And so we've seen a lot of governments do that here. They'll, they'll say, hey, this religious organization, you have to follow certain rules, but this gambling business over here, they don't have to follow the rules. So that that, that's where the government gets themselves in trouble when they start to discriminate and who has to follow the law. But as a general rule, the government can impose uh, laws in the interest of, of public health. All right, so that's, that's the first thing. The second thought is when it comes to businesses. Right, the, even though the government might have certain limitations, what it can do, it can't, you know, burden a fundamental right. It can't discriminate based upon a protected class, things like that. Businesses, on the other hand, the only limitation on a business is that it can't discriminate based upon a protected class or category. We know just off the top of my head, race, sex, national origin, religion, things like that is Title VII. Businesses cannot discriminate based upon a protected category. So you had that little bit of a, of, a, of a tension there. So if you are, let's say, going to a school, a public school, and they have a vaccine requirement, I'm going on a cruise. The cruise is requiring us to have a vaccine in order to get on the cruise ship. They can do that. That they're, they're a private business. That is not the government. The Constitution does not apply to that private business. And so they can set those rules. Any other thoughts on, on the, the vaccine issue? Uh, I mean, I feel like I've had so many thoughts over the past right, several right. months. It's like, you know, I don't know at this point. I mean, I guess my thought is more of a practical one. You know, I understand, you know, the, the general proposition about public welfare and public safety and public health. And I agree that the government can impose laws in the interests of public health and welfare um, generally. At this point, you know, the vaccines have been available for what, like eight months almost at this point. Right. I don't know 
how much more like if it's just a lost cause at this point, or at the very least diminishing returns, like anyone who has been willing or able or thinking about getting one at this point, I feel like there's a, you know, we've kind of almost topped out. And I feel like sometimes as the government, you have to ask, you know, is issuing more edicts and mandates just going to cause people on the other side to dig in their heels more. It's like learning how to argue, right? Like you don't say you're a moron. That's a terrible idea. Like you're not going to get more flies with honey, right? Like you're not going to get someone to say like, you know what? You're right. I am a total moron. What have I been thinking? Like that just doesn't happen. It's not human nature. Um, so it's more of a delicate persuasion and I don't see like a blunt force mandate as a delicate persuasion tool. Um, that's that's a good point. So, I mean, that's kind of like where I stand it and we'll see how it plays out. Like, I don't think it's necessarily something that's, I have not read OSHA. I know that this new presidential mandate is at least for, for the private businesses. Um, it's purportedly under the authority granted to him under OSHA. I've not gone back and read the statute. Normally I would, I'm that much of a nerd. Um, I've just not had the time in the midst of my campaign. So, but my understanding is, you know, there's at least a colorable argument that the authority is there. So it's not like a legal authority issue. I mean, I'm sure there will be a dispute, but at least it's facially or colorably there's authority. It's more of a practicality issue in my mind. And I would wonder if, if that case will actually get to a high court, because by the time it would get to the high court, I would think this season will have passed us and no longer will be the requirement. One other distinction I want to point out that you see in these laws is that you might say, well, look, Joel, it's a fundamental right. I don't want to inject anything into my body. And I get that. That does make sense. I agree that would be a fundamental right to be free from forcing something to be injected into your body. However, there is a difference between the government saying, look, if you want to access things in the public, like go out there and congregate in public areas around other people. So they're saying, look, if you want to stay in your house or stay away from other people, you don't have to receive the vaccine. It's when you go out there and interact in closed quarters. At least that's how the government's argument would go. Would the government be successful with that argument? Well, then you're, now you're thinking, what arguments would both sides present? How um, uh, helpful is this vaccine? How needed is it? Can there be an exception to this? And the government still uh, obtain its objective. And so that's how the law would, would play out. Right. right. Like we have freedom of speech, but just still can't yell fire in a crowded theater, right? Like there's <laughs> there's limitations to every right. And right. what's the, the famous libertarian saying, like my right freedom to act ends where your nose begins or whatever. Like there is, we're not an Island. Like we do exist in community and we, that's the point of like civilization is we have to learn how to live with each other. So I do completely understand that, but there's a difference between, you know, declaring something from on high and like, I say everyone has to do this and, you know, kind of just like molding incentives, kind of like what you were saying, you know, you could do things like say, okay, well, all of the people who are insured have their health insurance through Obamacare. Like you have to pay 
you get something tacked onto your monthly premium if you're not vaccinated or you get a discount if you are or like whatever. I mean, there are other ways to try to mold behavior that doesn't make people feel like they're being personally attacked, I guess. And, you know, I know I've heard a lot. I'm, I've been fully vaccinated since the first day I could get one. I ran. I did not walk. I did not pass go. I did not collect $200. It blows, it boggles my mind that not everyone would feel the same way. And so I do understand the frustration and the fatigue. And it is very difficult sometimes to like put those more emotional reactions aside because it just feels so unfair and it is but at the same time if what we're trying to achieve is maximization you have to look at what's gonna work so I'm more of a pragmatist when it comes to that it's like I don't really care what the mechanism is if it's going to work it's going to work so like let's just use the gentle method which is more proven to kind of have a better impact Speaking of government edicts from on high, let's go to our next topic, which is the recall election in California. Gavin Newsom recently declared victory in the recall. I read all kinds of high headlines where he was proudly, triumphantly claiming victory in the recall. And my thought was, is this really something you should be proud of? I mean, you won a recall election. That's like Trump saying, hey, look, in this second impeachment, they didn't convict me. Yay, yay. It's like you still were recalled, right? You still did enough bad things that warranted a significant percentage of the population saying, we want to oust you. We're going to spend millions of dollars to remove you. I think one of them was he had all these COVID restrictions that he thought were good for all Californians. He did not follow it himself, and he went dining in some restaurant without a mask. You get the idea. A little bit hypocritical, but I don't know. Am I out in left field here? Is this really something that you should be proudly proclaiming that yes you beat a recall effort um so i'm gonna give you some hearsay which is not how i normally you know base my knowledge um but again i've been short on time lately so we're gonna go off speculation okay. hearsay i recently heard <laughs> from someone who did grow up in california so you know maybe that person did have personal knowledge but i recently heard that like Every governor since the mid-1970s in California has been subject to a recall at some point okay. during their tenure. So maybe in Cal- – and I have – I'm not, like, privy to California politics. I don't know how state and local government works out there. Um But maybe it's just, like, not that big of a deal in California. He didn't seem to be, like, that concerned about it. I'm not there. I don't know. But I will agree with you that it wasn't just any restaurant that he went to. It was the French Laundry, which is in, um, like, Sonoma. It's in the wine country in Central California. And it's, like, one of the best restaurants and most expensive restaurants, like, in the country. Um, Yeah. So that didn't go over well, nor should it it have. Like, that's a really bad look and really bad leadership. Like, you cannot, you're not a good leader if you are not in the trenches with the people you're asking to sacrifice for the greater good. Like, you need to be right there with them back. In fact, you should be, you know, going above and beyond what you're asking your constituents to do. So I don't, you know, it's not surprising to me whatsoever that there was like a lot of anger. And I'm sure there were other reasons, um, which again, I'm not privy to, but who knows? The thing that boggles my mind the most about it is, I guess the way the ballot is, if he, so he, 
in order to recall the governor, you need, I guess, a, a majority vote, like 50% plus one. Right. If the recall, if he did get recalled or if he had gotten recalled, there was a list of like 45 potential new governors. And yes. it was just like the one who got the most votes. So like right. that person could have gotten 15 votes and become the governor of California. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the anomaly that comes. That's why a lot of people are like, thinking about changing the system. And I've been involved in some recall efforts in other areas from a legal standpoint. Uh, in California, it is a little bit different because it's all on one ballot. And so people will be voting. Question number one, should Gavin Governor Gavin Newsom be recalled? Question number two, if so, who should replace him of the following? So it is theoretically possible that Gavin Newsom, let's say 49% could say, we think he should still be our governor. So 51% says they want to recall him, but 49% say we want him to be our governor. Yet he loses his job to someone who got 25% of the vote because again, the second phase is who of the others will get the most votes. And so maybe some other person will win that part with only 25%. So while 49% want to get this one person to be the governor, the person who got 25% ends up being the governor. Unfortunately for California, or I say fortunately, maybe unfortunately, I don't know. Uh, they did not have a Terminator, you know, uh, Schwarzenegger. There's no Schwarzenegger out there running <laughs> in the recall effort. And so the, and that probably was why Gavin Newsom won. Apparently his opponent was some very controversial person that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. And so it wasn't a Terminator like Arnold Schwarzenegger who seemed to appeal to both parties and, and all sides. And so if there was someone like that who appealed across the board, maybe you would have had a, had a different outcome. You know, McKenzie, off the top of my head, you you love Europe, right? I mean, you told me that before. You're a big proponent of the way things are done in Europe. I Isn't am. That, yeah, you want to change our restrooms, whatever. But uh, you were saying, <laughs> uh, you were saying, uh, uh, I, mean, I believe in Parliament they have a vote of confidence. Yeah. Is, this, is this not like a vote of confidence where they're saying, hey, look, we, we don't have confidence in you. We want to remove you. And then we're going to replace you with someone else. So this maybe is not that unprecedented. No, I mean, it kind of is. I guess like in parliament, it would be more like, can you build a coalition out of all these myriad political parties that they have? You know, some right. countries in Europe have like 30 political parties and you just have to kind of, it's like that. Did you ever play blob tag? Yes. Where, yeah, it's kind right. of like blob tag. Like European parliament is like blob tag. Like you just kind of like attach as many factions to you as possible until you get to a majority you're like oh look we can govern All right um hey, but you, know you what? might That's have like literal communists and then like separatists like on the same side like it's very okay. odd but at the same time you know they it does function i mean they do pass laws sometimes there you go there you go california skip the recall scrap it replace it with a statewide blob contest well let's move on now to <laughs> the supreme court we've already kind of danced with them a little bit uh but they have some they had an interesting petition i wanted to bring to your attention this week actually a couple of them one of them involves a case that i'm litigating so i don't want to talk about that one but this one uh stars interactive holdings v kentucky this one dealt with this illegal gambling operation that was doing internet gambling 
in Kentucky. And apparently there was this old law, I mean really old, 17, well the article I read said 1798. I'm not sure that's even possible. That must have been a misprint. I don't think Kentucky was a state in 1798. I'm a history major. Maybe they were, but nonetheless, it's, let's just say it's a really old law. It allows a losing gambler to bring a civil action against the winner to recover the losses, or if the person doesn't want to bring a lawsuit, it allows for any other person in Kentucky to bring a lawsuit if there was an illegal gambling operation and recover up to three times the losses. And so this um, illegal gambling operation uh, operated in Kentucky, and I believe Kentuckians lost $290 million. And so the uh, Kentucky State Court awarded Kentucky $870 million against this illegal gambling operation. I believe this operation is from uh, Costa Rica. Uh, but nonetheless, um, this issue is not going up before the U.S. Supreme Court. Over Is this an excessive fine? Uh, is this violate the due process clause by saying you that this company here is going to be held liable? Do you, um, Kenzie, any thoughts on this, this case? So let me get this straight about this 1798 law. Gambling is illegal, but if you gamble illegally and you right. lose, you can recover your losses by saying, hey, that person who won or the gambling enterprise that won was illegally gambling. Wouldn't that be yes. like unclean hands? I mean, I feel Absolutely. like there's just something wrong with that from the jump. But then if that person doesn't want to recover their losses, why would you not want to recover your loss? Like, that's the other part. Who in their right mind would say, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm just right, going right, to take right. the tax deduction and call it a day. I don't need my money back. Um, that's just, it's weird. And then my third thought is it enables any other person to have standing to bring a civil claim to recover, right. cover treble damages that harkens to something we've seen very recently in the state of Texas, where there's a new law about illegal abortions, which are essentially all abortions now in Texas. And any person can sue an aider or a better, uh, as defined right. in the statute for civil damages. I mean, Texas, Talk about making America great again. They're going back to 1798 for inspiration on their laws. It's just very odd to me. I mean, I had never heard of anything like this before, but is it an excessive fine? I mean, I don't know. I would have to look at the due process precedent in this area if there even is any. But in my line of work, I mean, treble damages is something you see all the time in the law. Right, it, right. It's not excessive. It's treble damages. But to allow for any person, any other person in Kentucky to bring a lawsuit, why have not other people been bringing these lawsuits over the last, uh, you know, 60 years, especially since internet gambling became a thing. Obviously, that, that would have been a huge payday for the lawyer or for the, the person who brought that lawsuit. Very interesting. We're going to be following this case uh, to see how it, it, it plays out. All kinds of great legal issues. Uh, all right. Let's now move over. Let's let's finish our day. A couple of crazy legal stories out there. You, you know me, Mackenzie. I like to collect these crazy <laughs> legal stories. I put them into my collection for our classes for lawyers. Uh, it just makes our day a little bit interesting. If we're going to learn the law, let's learn it with some pretty interesting out-of-the-box factual scenarios. 
And so I got two factual scenarios that I am just wondering from you, because you, you operate there in Pennsylvania. Maybe you've seen more than what I have seen. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. Maybe you've seen a little bit more of the craziness in life than what I've seen. But have you seen anything like this? So the first one is there was a South Carolina lawyer who, who hired a hitman to murder someone. Now, right there, is that not the premise for a great TV show or a movie? Right, of course. Yeah, you got a hitman. You're hiring a hitman. Well, things went bad with this uh, scenario. Uh, this guy hired the hitman. Apparently, this hitman did not do his job properly, and the target of this hit ended up surviving this attack. Now, right there, you're thinking, okay, well, they tried to kill this person. Maybe this guy who hired the hitman is going to be in trouble. But that's what you would be thinking, right? Of course. He, he was, right. All right, not so fast, because the target was the guy himself. He hired someone to kill a person, and that person was himself. And so because it's not even a crime to hire someone to kill you. Yes. <laughs> you know what this sounds like? This sounds like the final of a law school exam, right? Hey, this is a I mean, factual I don't even scenario. Know if this is criminal law, if this is insurance law, like what kind of law are we even talking about here? I assume he was charged. I mean, so the hitman would have been guilty of attempted murder, obviously. So that's pretty simple. The man, I think, would be you could charge him under solicitation. It doesn't, it doesn't not fit the definition. No, no, no we, we get it that hurting him, killing himself. Let's say that suicide is illegal. Maybe it is under Pennsylvania law. I don't know, but he didn't die. So it was just a wound. Is, is it illegal to, you know, hurt yourself? I mean, no, 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 I mean, no. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think I think most of the criminal statutes use the word another, like another person. Another person, right. So hurting yourself wouldn't fall within that definition. But if you solicit a solicitation, I mean, it's still got to be, it's still got to be illegal to solicit Right. To solicit someone to kill any person because what what the criminal law is trying to curtail in that or, or punish, I guess, in that situation is the act of hiring of, of hiring right. a hit person. Like that in and of itself See, is illegal. It doesn't really matter who the target is, right? See, McKenzie, that's why you should be a judge. You, you, I think you nailed it on the head. This hit man it would be killing another. It would be the other person. Now, is there really a conspiracy? Maybe the conspiracy charge might be a little bit weak. I don't know, but you're going to have enough here to go after this person for criminal conduct. You also mentioned insurance, and I believe that's at the root of this. There actually was a $10 million insurance policy, and maybe there was, this was some attempt to give the $10 million uh, to the person's kid. Though I got to tell you, because I just came back from a golf trip last week had a blast playing golf every day and sometimes when you're with a bunch of guys you get kind of hard up for some conversation so you might talk about some pretty interesting things and one of the things we're talking about is hey wouldn't it be cool just to disappear 
I mean, like, be gone. Like, fake your death and then just go away. I'm like, you you mean, like, watch your own funeral? Well, what exactly are you talking about here, sir? Like, yeah, I fake my own death and then just leave. All right. I, I have no idea where you're going with this conversation. But nonetheless, um, I don't know. This was an attempt to fake one's death and then recover from the insurance proceeds. I don't know. Uh, you really got to look around at your life. Like if that's something that that's coming to your mind as wouldn't this be a great idea? Maybe there right. are some things in your life that you want to work on adjusting. I don't I don't uh, hey. want to disappear just for the record. You know what? When your golf game is not going well, sometimes these thoughts come up. You want to hit that drive? I don't know. All right. <laughs> Move on now to our last story. This one is a situation that happened. I'm not going to tell you the location. At least I'm going to try not to tell you the location. I want to have you guess it. But there was some county deputies that had established a perimeter around a home. And there was they were engaging in a standoff with this 18-year-old suspect. And the authorities say that this suspect fired on them. And I believe there was some return fire as well all around this 1100 block of Michigan Boulevard. So this was a six-hour standoff. The SWAT team was called in. The negotiator was called in. Again, this was also a great made-for-TV movie special. You get the context of what I'm trying to paint here, right? You, you get the picture? I get it. Okay, so in this scene, in comes this golf cart, which right there, Mackenzie, that's odd. I, I mean, just some nosy neighbors, like, oh, what's going on over there? I want to go check this out. So this person gets in their golf cart and drives over into this, this SWAT team scenario where gunfire is being exchanged both ways. Mackenzie, I have not even gotten to the best uh, ordeal yet because this nosy neighbor, if you will, was buck naked. So I don't know how I can make this any crazier. You got this naked neighbor lady coming into this, this fire exchange. So with all that being said, Mackenzie, do you want to guess what state this happened in? Um, let me think here. You said golf cart. Right. You said Michigan Boulevard. Right. It's got to be Florida. It is Florida. Absolutely. <laughs> you nailed Florida. And so only in Florida could this really happen. If I had thrown in an alligator, that would have been a perfect trifecta of crazy situations. Uh, but the cops did say, and this does not, this will not surprise you. There was a distinct odor of an alcoholic beverage coming from her person and she was completely nude. All right, the, the, as far as why she was arrested, the cop said the defendant's actions and inability to follow directions put multiple deputies at risk for potentially getting shot at. Maybe they were staring and gawking at her. I don't know what was going on there, but this, this was a situation that had to be dealt with and so she was arrested. So there you go. Those if are my that's crazy- that's reckless endangerment, I don't know what is. Exactly, yeah. And I shouldn't have asked you to comment on that that is a case that might potentially come before you there in <laughs> pennsylvania so yeah, i guess you have to recuse yourself now i don't know but nonetheless there you go all right hey mckenzie have a great week this week as you're on the campaign trail as you're going out there sweating and and pounding the pavement i'll be thinking of you from the beaches in, in aruba yeah you have fun with that joel you have a great time on your cruise um uh, I, I feel nothing towards yes. you about that right. um you know and if you happen to have a little drink with an umbrella coming out of it 
toast in my honor. I'll be out there, you know, working as hard as I can. I'll be thinking about you. All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, Mackenzie. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, welcome to this week's courtroom quarterback. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. Chris, I didn't know if you're going to pick up on that, but hey, good job there. We gave no prep on that, but you just jumped right in there, and we had so much fun last week. And apparently, you made so much money, you now are driving around in a new car. We're going to get to that later in the day, but let's do this again because, man, it's a, uh, I had a great, fascinating week. I can't wait to tell you the story. Uh, but, um, yeah, this is the first week of the NFL. A lot of great topics to uncover and unpack, and all, we, had, we had some great games in college as well. Uh, Chris, where do you want to start? Let me, let's start here, Chris. Have you ever watched a game from a casino? Oh, my gosh. I have watched a lot of games from a lot of casinos. Being, I gotta tell you. So growing up in Northern California, we had a lot of Indian casinos early on, like 1995, 96, 97, 98. And you could be underage and watch the games. Okay. You just couldn't okay. go to the betting floor. All right. So All right. watched a lot of games I gotta with tell buddies. You, I thought watching a game from Buffalo Wild Wings was the deal, but it pales in comparison to watching a game at a casino. So let me just set the picture for you, Chris. I was All down right. in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I was doing a playing in a golf tournament, which was a lot of fun. The best golf <laughs> tournament I've ever played in in my life. It was a bunch of old geezers. And yes, I was there with them. So I am now in that category of old geezer. I'm about ready to turn 5-0. Uh, and so... Um, uh, but during the golf tournament, there's a casino there. And so we go to the casino to watch the football games. Makes sense. And I'm telling what's that? It makes sense. Go to the casino, watch the game. It was amazing because one of the things I love about watching games in a live venue is the excitement of the crowd. Well, sometimes it's yeah. hard to duplicate when you're watching a game from home or in a in a bar. Though sometimes you get in a bar because you get you get some crowd atmosphere there, you get some collective cheers, you know, or angst things like that. Well, at right. a casino, yes, you have your favorite team there, but in addition to that. You have money on the line. Now, I did not bet money on this one, but um, everyone else did. And so every single you know touchdown or interception or fumble, people are really feeling it in their back pocket. So there was a lot of rooting. And I am telling you, Chris, there was hundreds of TV sets. I mean, everywhere your eyes went, there was another game on. And so you'd hear some parts of the crowd cheering, and you'd be scanning the crowd, the, the TV sets going, okay, what, what just happened there? And what game did that just happen? Was it a fumble? Was it a touchdown? You know, and so you get all different kinds of people rooting for or against. You have no idea what they're rooting for. It was an incredible atmosphere. And so I, I got to admit, I had a lot of fun uh, watching uh, those games. And we're going to talk about this here in a little bit. I was in Arkansas. And of course, if you, right. you know, one of the biggest games of the week last week was Texas v. Arkansas. And so there was a little bit of a home flavor there. We're going to unpack that game here in just a bit. So I had a blast watching football this last week. Chris, let's start with the NFL. Love it. Now, Let's you, do you and I both talked in, in, in preparation that probably one of the biggest storylines, I believe this is your hot take, after week one 
was the rookie play. I mean, it's always an exciting time because you saw these players in college and you saw how well they did. You saw that they were drafted. Maybe they they were from your favorite team. And so you're just kind of curious, how are they going to play out in the NFL? How how will their talent really transcend? Were they worth the draft pick? So Chris, what were your hot takes or your observations from week one, focusing on the rookie class? You know, I I watch, I felt bad for Trevor Lawrence. I want to start with Trevor Lawrence because okay. he was probably the one that I was watching the most, right? He's in Jacksonville, you know, the whole new program, Trevor Lawrence coming out, one of the most successful college quarterbacks, just trying right. to figure out what's going on. You got Jacksonville, you got Urban, you got all the things we talked about last week. And no matter what part of the world you were in, everyone heard that Trevor Lawrence lost his very first game like ever. Some of the sports people were going back all the way to like middle school or 10 U football right. was the last time that Trevor Lawrence lost a game. Now for clarification, for clarification, ahead. we're talking about regular season, game, regular right? season, right, 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 right. Regular season football game, not, not playoff, not championship, but regular season football game. His last loss was like his middle school team, like 14 U wow. I believe. Wow. And so, and that, so it's a humbling thing. And I think that's that was my favorite part about it is is that right everybody talks about you can get bitter or you can get better. And I think Trevor Lawrence really needed that smack in the face to let him know that he's no longer in college. He's no longer in high school. Right. Like it is a different beast when you're playing against um, you know, they're playing against Houston. So it's not, I mean, I don't want to downplay Houston by any means. They're professional players. They do this for a living. This is what they do and they're good at it. But you know, Trevor Lawrence got shown what it's like to play in the NFL. That that was an eye opener. And you're right. It was, this was the very first game in the NFL for not only Trevor Lawrence, but his coach right. urban Meyer. Right. And there's going to be a little bit of a learning curse. I know we don't want to overreact too much from week right, right. one, but let's face it, as you you are kind of kind to Houston, Houston's in disarray. They, they are they a are. program that is, is they, they fired are. their coach. They uh uh I believe it was last year they fired their coach after that horrific loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh and um their their quarterback, their star quarterback is sitting Just on sitting the bench. Down. They won't yep. even suit him up to play because of all the 22 allegations against him. They're trying to trade him off somewhere. This is a program in a disarray. And so you would think Okay, Trevor Lawrence, this is a good opening start. You're playing against Houston. You should be able to to at least look good. Let's unpack his uh um uh, his numbers here. He went 28 for 51. So in right. today's day and age in the NFL, that's not a good completion percentage. 332 yards. Though I will say, I I I view yardage when you lose very circumspect circumspect because what happens is the defense if you are if the deep if the other team has a huge lead on you they're playing prevent defense so they're they're gonna allow you to get a bunch of yards yeah so the fact that he had 332 yards not that telling three touchdowns but three interceptions and this is the big one his qbr was right. 14.2, which I I didn't analyze all of the stats from quarterbacks last week. There was one quarterback who actually finished lower than that. We're going we're gonna to talk about that quarterback here in just a bit, but 14.2 oh, yeah. is not good in not a loss all. to Houston. So, yeah, not a well, good start think, for... I think you're right, Joel. You could talk about 332 all day long because they're letting him pass. Right. Because they're picking it off. 
So they're going to let him throw the ball because they know that they're going to have a turnover. But you're right. When you have that big of a lead over Jacksonville, you can allow him to throw and play around. So I give Trevor like a C plus B minus for his first performance. You know, he, he did, he did some throwing and he did some shuffling in the pocket. And, you know, overall, a lot of his rookie tendencies came out, but again, game one, game one, day one for Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer. I'm not saying they did horribly, but there is a lot of room for improvement. Now, let me just give you a comparison with another quarterback. So I just gave you Trevor Lawrence's stats, right? 2851, 332 yards, uh, and, and a loss to Houston. Another yeah. rookie quarterback playing his first game. 21 for 37, so somewhat similar. 302 yep. yards, also yep. similar. Only one touchdown to three interceptions. Uh, and so he had actually had a worse opening day because he had less, fewer touchdowns and just the same number of interceptions. And he also lost 24 to 15. Do you know who that quarterback is? I'm going to give it to you. Oh, it wasn't Mac Jones. Nope. Peyton, Peyton, oh, Peyton Manning, Manning, 1998 versus Ooh. Miami. In his very first game, Peyton Manning had very similar stats to okay. Trevor Lawrence. So if that's any omen, hey, Trevor, don't worry about it. At some point in time in the future, they will fire your coach. You'll get a right. Tony Dungy-like coach coming in. <laughs> You're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. The future, it, it, it could be bright for you. It worked out well oh, for, for Peyton sure. Manning. So. Very much. Right. Uh, I found that I was actually curious as to how did these other quarterbacks fare in their first game. And yeah, Peyton Manning's stats were pretty similar to Trevor Lawrence's. And Chris, that's why they come to our podcast. They get those hot takes. All right. Wh who else actually stood out to, to you last week? Trevor Lawrence. Or not Trevor Lawrence. We just talked about him. Trey Lance. You okay. know, Garoppolo started the game. Trey Whoa, Lance. Trey Lance. Trey oh, Lance. I got to hear this one because I have his stats and I wrote his stats down. And I'm very curious as to, I know you're a homer. I know San Francisco is your favorite team. Right. So please give me your homer take on Trey Lance. So Trey Lance is going to develop. He's not the greatest quarterback. He's not coming into the game. I have no delusions about the fact that, that we need to develop Trey Lance. But he came in, right? His first pass right. was a touchdown. which One made for one. Yeah, one for one. But the fact of the matter is, is that while he was taking snaps and while he was there, he wasn't he didn't seem jumbled by by the pressure from the Detroit Lions. Okay. Now, again, Detroit Lions were right, right. Detroit Lions. But if you notice, the Niners started to fall apart towards the end of that game. So the Lions were pushing on the Niners door. We won, but it wasn't a victory that I really liked because okay. we were falling apart there at the end. But Trey held it together, did what he could, and in his first showing, I felt that there was a lot of stuff that he developed and he was learning. He was paying attention to the sidelines, paying attention to his team, and he was trying to figure out how the puzzle pieces fit together. He didn't come in arrogant like he was going to run the program, and I think that's good for the long haul. You know, when did always... Trey... Go ahead. When did Trey come in and play? What part of uh, the game? Towards the end. Barely got... Really? Yeah. So the game was he in did, doubt. Well, I know the final no, he score. Started, he did his first pass. He came in early. It was like within the first 10 minutes of the game, threw okay. his pass, got his touchdown, and then it was kind of a back and forth. Okay. So yeah. Garoppolo's final stats were 17 of 25 for 314 yards, one TD, no interceptions, a QBR of 74.6, which that stat line 
is not too bad. It's also no. kind of eh, yeah, a little mundane, right. uh, which right. kind of describes Garoppolo's career. 100%. So, yeah, so based upon your watching of that game, when do you, what is your over-under on when Trey Lance will be the starting quarterback? Will they go this entire year? Because Garoppolo is going to be mundane for the entire year. He's not going to be no. so bad that he screams to be benched. So how do you see this playing out? I would say week seven. Week okay. seven or week seven. eight, we're gonna see we're gonna see the switch into Trey Lance running it and Jimmy G rolling the backside. Okay, interesting. We'll make note of that. That's my uh, hot over take. Under on there we go. On seven weeks there, Trey. You see, you saw enough in Trey Lance. He looked composed. There is a great future, and that future might be sooner than later. All right. Yeah. Uh, any other quarterbacks that stand out to you? I did feel kind of bad for uh, for Justin Fields getting just murdered by the Rams defense the entire like, not standing out in like a good way. Justin Justin right. did what he could, but man, not to not to say anything, but he just got beat by the Rams defense, and it just made me sad. Now Justin Fields was two for two for ten yards, but they right. lost fourteen. To 34 to the Rams. And so it really wasn't a close game. Sometimes it's hard to get a lot of, you know, meaningful takes from a blowout like that. But one thing you can take from that is the starter might not be the starter for long. If you're the starter getting blown out 34 to 14 to the Rams, then yeah, his days might be numbered. And so Justin Fields might get his shot sooner than later. I don't know. But you got to remember the Rams are my choice for for right. Super Bowl. So getting blown out by the, you know, going to be the Super Bowl losers to the Chiefs, you know. That's that's not a too bad of a loss. So not they a might bad thing, give, right? They might give Andy Dalton a few weeks there to see how well he can do. But if last year is any indication, uh, they're going to probably look for ways to get Justin Field on that field sooner than later just to see what he has. Um, Mac Jones obviously was a big storyline. Huge story. Think that he's going to have the best year because of his situation, going to a great coach, a great right. program, New England. Uh, unfortunately for him, the issue is going to be, is he a fair, adequate replacement for not Cam Newton, but Tom Brady. And so that's going to be, that's not that's a fair such a comparison hard for take. him. That is it a ridiculous. Is. How are you going to compare Mac Jones in his one game to the 22 years of Tom Brady? All right. You've asked, I'm going to give it to you right here. You asked, I'm going to give it yeah. to you. Mac Hit Jones, me. 29 for 39, not a bad mm-hmm. completion of percentage, 281 yards. So he's throwing a lot of short passes, right. one TD, zero interceptions, a QBR, of 75.1, but it was in a loss to the Miami Dolphins, but it was 17-16, and apparently the loss shouldn't be all on his shoulders. He did not throw the interception. It was a fumble, which you got it. That's not really on the quarterback. When the running back or receiver fumbles the ball, that's not on the quarterback, and so you can say he played well even though his team lost. I looked up Tom Brady's stats in his first game. Now, granted, this was during his second year, but his first game as a starter, 
He was 13 of 23, so over 50%, for 168 yards, so well below Mac Jones' number. Zero for zero, so no no touchdowns, but also no interceptions. Apparently, they must have had a very conservative game plan. If you remember from your history, uh, I believe it was Bledsoe got injured the week before, and so this was his first game as a starter. But nonetheless, they beat Indianapolis 44-13. to So it was a blowout win. So Tom Brady had probably similar stats, but a much better outcome. So, hey, I don't know. I think Mac Jones is on pace now with, with Tom Brady as far as his first game out. All right. Well, any you know other... what that brings up a lot of nostalgia, though? Remember back when we thought that Tom Brady was like a nobody and Bledsoe yes. was like God's gift to quarterbacking? Right. Yeah. And nobody could be better. Draft. Nobody could ever be better than Bledsoe. We there's there isn't a world. I remember being a, a younger a Ute, a young man. Right, right. You know, during college looking at when Tom Brady was coming out, and I'm just like, there's no way that he's gonna be better than Bledsoe. That's just not happening. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, Another Bledsoe thing I was, was wrong with on the list I of believe, many things. It, if my memory serves me correct, Bledsoe was the number one pick of the draft out of, was it Washington or Washington State? One of the two. Uh, amazing quarterback as far as potential. Brady, was he not the last pick in the draft? I know it's the sixth round, and the, the thought is that he was way at the bottom end yeah, of the draft. Yeah, he was like 144 or something like that. I, yeah. I want to say 144, 145. It just shows you what do you really know? Well, uh, I would think in addition to all of these rookie quarterbacks, my big takeaway from week one was the stellar play of the quarterback. If you look up and down all of the games, a lot of quarterbacks change teams. You got golf, change teams, Stafford, change teams. Uh, You know, you got, uh, I I know the the quarterback for um, uh, the Saints. What is his name? you put me on the spot and I completely forgot it. I know. I think it Winston, uh, but a Heisman Trophy winner. Nonetheless, he is the quarterback for the Saints. Yeah, Winston. I know he was Winston. Winston. I know he played for them last year, but as a backup, maybe right. even a third string backup last year, he looked incredible. He did. This might be the era of a quarterback. There are a lot of good quarterbacks out there, except for one, which takes me to my first hot take of the day. Your first hot take was all the great rookie play. My first take was, wow, Aaron Rodgers should have retired. I, <laughs> I mean, what a flop. That. What a horrible – your oh. bud, Andrew, Aaron Rodgers, you have to explain why he's your bud. Uh, My buddy. Yeah. I mentioned what a horrible QBR that um, uh, Trevor Lawrence had. He had a 14.2 QBR. Coming in right below that with a QBR of 13.4 – is Aaron Rodgers. His stats were 15 of 28 for 133 yards, zero touchdowns, two uh, interceptions, and a 38 to 3 killing uh, by the Saints. And the worst part about that story is I started him on my fantasy football team and lost Ooh. by two points. So I'm a little bit bitter with Aaron Rodgers for causing me to lose my week one of my fantasy football league. Uh, why is he your bud? And do you have any excuse or explanation as to why he laid such an egg? I mean, keep in mind, this guy, Aaron Rodgers, is the returning MVP of the entire league. Right. So Aaron Rodgers and I grew up in the same area. Aaron's about two years younger than me. Uh, 
he played against us in high school. Aaron Rodgers and I went to the same junior college. Um, at the same time, we were both there. I had taken some time off after high school. That's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> but um, I've known Aaron. I wouldn't say like we're friends. I know who Aaron is. Aaron's big enough now that he has no clue who I am because I'm not right, that right. big yet until this podcast blows up and then That's he'll be right. dying to get on. Give it. it time. That's right. Just a little bit of time. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers grew up in the area that I grew up in. I knew him from playing football in high school and, and in the younger years. And, you know, he's a he's a this is going to sound bad, but he's a hometown hero that no one likes. Wow, so, that is a great take. That is the hot take number one. That is forget yeah. your first hot take. He is a hometown hero that nobody likes. Oh, that is that's gonna have to lead off our podcast. That that should be the tagline for our podcast is the hometown hero that no one likes. Now, why why do you say that? I mean, just the kind of general feel that you had for him growing up, the public's perception of him, the reporting. So if you go back to Chico, California, and for those listening all over the world, Chico, California is about an hour north, hour and a half north of Sacramento in the central California Valley. Big rice and almond farmers there. Not a whole lot going on. There's a wonderful world-class Harvard of the West, California State University, Chico, where I happen to be an alum from. And if we were doing this on YouTube right now, you would see my giant Chico State flag in the background because I rep it even at the other college I work at. But Aaron, he just doesn't have a good reputation around town. He's arrogant, cocky. He's rude to people. He thinks he owns everything because he's the most popular person ever to come out of the Chico Butte County area. He thinks that, you know, um, his crap don't stink. And for those of you following California for the past couple of years, they've been rocked with fires and floods and all sorts of stuff. And when the town of Paradise, California burned to the ground from the campfire, Aaron Rodgers did this really cool thing where he donated a million dollars to help with the recovery effort. And his brother, who was on The Bachelor, of all things, because the brother of Aaron Rodgers gets to be on, you know, D-level TV, um, (laughs) goes on the local news station and he goes, you know what, we're really grateful that Aaron donated a million dollars, but maybe he should call his mother to see if she's okay. Or see about the family home that got burned in the fire. Aaron could give two craps. Well, I'm speaking colloquially. I don't know if this is true. I don't know the heart of the man. (laughs) Right, right, right. His outward showing is that he really doesn't care about the town or the people. He just cares about the good press that come. You know, you'll see him in interviews with like Butte College T-shirts on or, you know, Butte Butte County shirts. But in essence, he's forgotten it. I remember – Man, his first Super Bowl MVP, and he got the Corvette, and he was just right. blowing up and down the streets of Chico, blowing through red lights the whole nine yards, acting like he was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Now, given no one else in that town is a Super Bowl MVP or an NFL player, right, so true. yes, you are the coolest thing since sliced bread, but don't be a jerk. Like, be humble. If I had just you know. known that, I would not have drafted him number one for my fantasy football team. I'm very upset with this. So the big right. issue in the offseason was he wanted out of Green Bay. He wanted to trade. Badly. Is this, is this his way of saying, look, you should have traded me? Is he entering early retirement? Is he just giving a big middle finger to everyone, including his teammates? I mean, why such the bad performance in week one? Or should we just cast this aside and say, you know what? He's going to be back in week two stronger than ever because he's a professional athlete. He's He's been yeah. embarrassed. And so if you have money to roll, you put it on Aaron Rodgers this weekend. What's your take? 
Well, I wouldn't put money on Aaron Rodgers this weekend. I don't. Uh, I haven't looked to see who the pack is playing quite yet. Uh, I haven't we'll looked at that. Oh, they're playing the Lions. Yeah, put money on Aaron Rodgers. They're playing the Lions. Okay. Right? All right. Like, but I think that Aaron Rodgers is a professional. He is a MVP quality quarterback. There's no doubt in anyone's mind, no matter his personal misgivings or shortcomings, he's a good football player. He's a great football player. I would go to say he had a bad off week. Yeah. There was a lot of drama. He wanted out of green Bay and let's be honest, who doesn't want out of green Bay? It's really cold and right. the stadium's old. It's not like a fun new Mercedes Benz stadium. Like right. he's over it and you get it right. You need to move on from your job and he wants to move on. But fact of the matter is he's a professional and he's going to play. I don't think for a second, Aaron Rodgers is throwing football games out of some tantrum that he's having about not being traded. All right. So we, I would expect to see him back for week two. He probably right. wasn't fully prepared. I don't know all the right. story, but we might know more after week two. Cause I, I think you're going to see a correction here in right. week two. All right. Well, well that's our memes gonna... are gold now, right? Have you seen the picture of Aaron Rodgers at the like after press event? And he looks like homeless. Yeah. And the memes right. that he are does. just coming off this are just amazing. Just absolutely yeah. hilarious. So good oh, for him looks... for increasing his brand awareness. He looks like a different person than a couple of years ago when he was dating Danica Patrick. Oh, so yeah. maybe life has gone hill uh, after that. Well, uh, that was our, our hot take from the NFL. Um, now let's go to college. Uh, the, let's the, do college. Very, it's a great week of college this last week. Great games. Let's start off with Oregon over Ohio State University. I watched that game. Ooh. That was an amazing game. I always expected, okay, Ohio State's going to make a comeback here. Are they, right. Yeah, Oregon has the lead at half, but you know what? Uh, um, OSU's going to come back. I mean, if you're crying out loud, it's at OSU's home. So Right, they're in the shoe. They're in the so, shoe. So here is the, the uh, what do you think? Uh, has Oregon played itself now into the college playoffs? I know the college playoffs is dying to get that West Coast influence for marketing purposes for the big games. It is a national championship. Uh, does Oregon face anyone else the rest of the year? Uh, OSU, are they now? Are we, can we write them off? Uh, are they out of the Big Ten's picture? Will the Big Ten have any representative now in the college playoffs? What is your take on the ramifications from this game? Well, I think it's going to be a wake-up call for OSU. I think that a lot of the OSU fan base and maybe some of the OSU players, they're thinking that they were going to you know, go out there and just kill number four, Oregon. But Oregon is a good program. You know, and right. and. You know, hit me if I'm wrong here, but OSU's quarterback went pro. So they're starting a new quarterback at the position. It's not it's you know, it's a it's a minute to get used to playing in the shoe and your game. Like, you know, it just there's a lot that goes into it. Do I think OSU is counted out for the college football? Not at all. I think that this could be a turning point for them to kind of get their act together and be able to pull something off that will allow them to to be representative in the college, the the uh, playoffs. Do I think a national championships out of question? Kinda. If you're losing to Oregon, you're not going up against Clemson or Alabama. Like it's not right. going to be your jam. So I think that we could take the national championship off the table for OSU. And if my boss could hear me right now, he would fire me. Cause that guy is <laughs> all of every meeting corrects us to the Ohio state. We don't get to call it OSU. We can't call them the Buckeyes. It's the Ohio state every time. So you know, it may be one of those situations where OSU does some some good in the playoffs, but I don't think they're national champion, at least not from this game. They're not showing us national champion 
you know, credentials. They showed us a lack of moxie because they were oh, yeah. down at halftime. You kept thinking they're going to make a comeback. They're going to make a comeback. They never did. Not and once. so, again, you can explain it away by saying their quarterback is new. And right. He wasn't the starter last year. And so right. there's going to be some learning curve along the way. But from what I understand, they lack a lot of talent on defense, and they can't recruit during the middle of the year for this year's team. No. So they're stuck with what they have there on defense, and they're going to have to get by Iowa, and that's going to be a real Ooh. tough a run for them. Iowa it looked is. extremely good. Uh, their defense is amazing. Uh, their coach friends, he always finds a way to win close games. Mm -hmm. Iowa plays at nobody this year. Now, that doesn't mean anything to Ohio State because they will have to face each other in the conference championship game. So they will have that chance to beat Iowa at the end of the day. So even though Iowa goes in undefeated, Ohio State can still beat them. That might actually help Ohio State's chances. In fact, mm -hmm. Iowa might be their saving grace at the end of the day if they can beat an undefeated Iowa that might propel them into the college uh, playoffs. Right. All right. One last college game from this last weekend was Arkansas over Texas 40 to 21. Now I got to tell you, Chris, I was watching this game in Arkansas. I was there yep. at, the, at a, uh, in hot Springs. I was enjoying it because there's probably not a team I despise more than the <laughs> Texas Longhorns. They destroyed my beloved Big 8. They then destroyed the Big 12. And I want to see them go down. I'm just glad they're going to the SEC. They yep. think they're going to be competitive in the SEC? Come no. on, Texas. You can't even beat TCU from your own state. You have a losing record against Texas Christian University. So I don't know why you think you're gonna, <laughs> things are going to change in the SEC. I, any college games stand out to you? Well, last week I mentioned the Holy War, BYU versus Utah. That's right. That's, that's close to my heart. My wife's a BYU alum. I, I hang out with a lot of BYU alums here in Arizona. So that was a big game. Um around here and it was beautiful to finally see BYU win the game after 12 years of a drought. So that was a lot of fun. That, that, that made a lot of people happy around here. Uh, outside of personal enjoyment for that game, that, that game means absolutely nothing to me. I, I feel that Utah and BYU outside of BYU's news this week of right. They're going to go join, um, the big 12. The bit, we're going to talk about that here in just a bit, but right. yeah, the conference that, realignment. I just like the, I always like a rivalry game. I don't care yes. who's playing. I love a rivalry game. It, there's always so much more emotion. You pick a side, you hang out and you just root for them and go to town. I love a good rivalry game. You know, you can't get a better segue to what I want to talk about next. Cause you're going to talk about rivalries. You can't right. get a better rivalry game and yes. a better example of what is wrong with college football than the 50th anniversary, the game of the century, Nebraska versus Oklahoma. Now, I got to tell you, I am a huge Nebraska fan. And so I grew up a Nebraska fan. I got a Nebraska helmet right behind me. I lived, but I was born right around this game. This game, I assume, was played right around Thanksgiving of yep. 1971, which is exactly when I was born. So I was born into this rivalry. <laughs> it, this represents the best of college football. I am so excited uh, that this game is going to be, uh, this rivalry is going to be renewed. I'm also very bummed that my Cornhuskers are expected to get shellacked this weekend. We are a 22 and a half point underdog. Ooh. I will tell you, Chris. 
I will tell you, Chris, I was supposed to go to this game. Uh, my good friend uh, and, and uh, Scott Bullen had gotten arranged tickets, and we were going to go down there and see Oklahoma uh, get whipped up by Nebraska. <laughs> As it turns out, I'd scheduled in a cruise. I'm going to Aruba this weekend, so I'm going Ooh. to miss the game. So I feel like... Maybe I, I saved myself some, you know, torture and pain there watching Nebraska. I don't know. We're gonna, okay, let's unpack the the who's gonna win this game a little bit later with our gambling picks. Yes. Are, are you excited about this game? Or are you out there, you know, in Arizona? You're not exactly caught up in the game of the century, the the 50th anniversary of the greatest game ever. I mean, that's a lot of hype to live up to there, Joel. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The game of the century, we're roughly 21 years into the century. So I don't know if we no, can... No, 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 we, no. Back up. This was the game of the century last, last century. century. In okay. 1971, you had... Okay. I forget who was number one. I should remember this, but it was one versus two. Nebraska okay. versus Oklahoma. You're talking about a rivalry with the top two teams in the nation. Uh, okay. Spoiler alert, Nebraska goes on to win that game and then I believe win the national title that year. Mm -hmm. uh, that, I think that was the first of two that they won under Bob Devaney. Uh, you, you didn't get better than that game of the century. This is the 50th anniversary. The reason why I'm mentioning this, um, this, is, this represents the worst in college football. So it represents the best. I love these rivalries. The, the rival, as you mentioned, yeah, the yeah. rivalry of what makes college football. It's the worst because it's been destroyed by greed and conference realignment. And yes. I got to admit, Nebraska started this. Nebraska left the Big 12 to go to the Big 10. I believe that was a huge mistake. I believe that they, Nebraska lost out. I believe their fans lost out. Their football team lost out Everybody. for a lot of different reasons, none of which had to do with they can't compete. They can't compete. They just lost their recruiting base. They lost their identity. They lost their big rivalries. It makes a difference to a program. And they, they, that that all has resulted in 20 years of just being stagnant. I mean, I know it's been 10 years in the Big Ten, uh, but nonetheless, it resulted in a lot of years of them just being average. I'm rambling on. Let me get off my soapbox here for just a second. <laughs> Do you agree with me that conference realignment is destroying these rivalries and destroying college football? It's definitely destroying the rivalries, right? The whole point of interconference rivalries is that local teams can play each other and it's, you could go see them. Yeah. The, the monetization of college football has really ruined the rivalry system. Cause I fully believe that conference realignment has to do with monetization, advertising dollars, the whole nine yards. It has nothing to do with best players versus best teams. I don't think it has to right. do with that at all. It's all about how can we get together and make more money off of this, um, this program, which if our listeners remember a few sessions ago, you and I talked about the NCAA case that right. where justice Kavanaugh uh, essentially said that you're exploiting all these workers to make a one, one or more billion dollar industry. So I think the NCAA is always allowing for these moves to increase profit sharing. I, it's kind of like allowing a professional team to move from, I don't know, the Brooklyn Dodgers to LA, you know, it, or, you know, the uh, the New Orleans jazz to Salt Lake where they don't allow music. Right, but right. You, you see these moves so that way the teams can make more money. And it destroys it because now the fan base that they've built up and the rivalry base, because some people just come out for the rivalry games, right? I just talked five seconds ago about how I only watched the BYU-Utah game because of yes. the rivalry. 
Right. Right now, it doesn't exist. There's no point. To, there's no. St- all that's left at stake now is bragging rights. And though bragging rights, don't get me wrong, I am capital trash talking all the time. If I could trash talk and then beat them in a conference game and then beat them as a conference champion to to lord that over them for an entire year, that makes it that much sweeter. Oh, it's huge. It is huge. I, have th- I know I'm going to cross sports here, but uh, Kansas right. is my alma mater. The yep. KU-Missouri basketball game was the mm-hmm. best rivalry in sports, I, I believe. For it didn't years. matter. It didn't matter where KU was ranked. KU could be number one, and Missouri could be at the very bottom. They hated each other that much that when they played each other, it went down to the final possession. It was an amazing game. That that was the intensity that was brought to it. And then conference realignment happened, and it's just shot. And, and so you have Kansas and Missouri playing each other for over 100 years, Kansas and Nebraska playing each other for over 100 years. You throw that out the door for what? Missouri playing Kentucky? Who cares about right. Missouri versus Kentucky? There's right. no history there. And I'm right. going to take you one step further. You said it was about profit sharing. I I want to disagree with that just a bit. Okay. Because you, you almost made it sound like they want to increase the profits. I don't think that's right. I think they want to exclude other people so their slice of the pie gets bigger. In other words, they don't care if more money is being made. They just don't want all these other schools, the Boise States, the other UCS, these other schools out there sharing in it. So they want to somehow, you know, conceal or uh, re- retract these conferences, make them shorter, make them smaller, get less people in there. If it was just the SEC and the Big Ten, I think that would make them happy. In fact, you know what? If you look at the if the SEC, we're really being yeah. honest, they would just say, we don't even need the other conferences. Let's just have it be the SEC and no one else. I think it's that mindset of we want to exclude everyone else and make our slice of the pie bigger and we don't care about you. Any thoughts? With that, I mean, I again, I think it's all about money. However, you cut it, however, these executives figure it out. I think the SEC is delusional and would like to have it only be them because they think they're the only ones that play football. Now, I mean, if you look at the SEC, you would see that all of those states rank like 50th for education. So, of course, they think (laughs) that they're the only player, they don't know that there's other states in the union. They literally think they're the only states in the union. So, that's right, it's not you know. You don't hear about the Nobel well, Prize winner from Alabama. You hear about right, the football right. team. So well, think about it. You have four teams in the college playoffs right now. They're thinking about expanding it. Okay. If you are right. one of those four teams, that it means millions of dollars to your university and to 100%. your conference. Right. So what the SEC wants is they don't of those four teams, they would like two of those spots. If you're going to increase it to 12 teams, they want six of those spots. Yes, they, they think do. they deserve half of all that money. And that's just because they think they can get away with it. If you, if they were really honest, they would probably say we would take all four spots and all 12 spots. Right. But I think the public would fight back on that because the public would say, then you're not the true national champion because we see this team out there in California. They look really good. We think they're a better team than you. So there is this idea if you want to draw in a national audience, you got to at least pretend to include a national collection of teams. But again, I I think they would rather uh, exclude them just to make money. My point is I don't think conference alignment is benefiting the teams or is benefiting the, um, 
uh, the, the, the colleges or the, the, the teams. I think it's hurting both of them, all in, a, in the name of trying to uh, realign the conferences to keep people out. That being said, I am excited about this Nebraska OU game. And so I just, be. I am just hoping, is there any way at all that Nebraska can make this competitive? By the way, Chris, I do want to share with you a little bit of research I found because I know you're probably not as big up on this Nebraska Oklahoma rivalry. I am not. But this started in 1919. Here's what happened they were both a part of the Missouri Valley, or Nebraska was in the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, Nebraska scheduled Oklahoma to play. But according to the conference rules, you're supposed to play at your home site. Nebraska had them play in Omaha instead of Lincoln in 1919. The game ended in a 7-7 tie. Well, the Missouri Valley Conference was so ticked off at Nebraska, they booted them out of the conference and replaced them with the Sooners. And so that was the start of the rivalry. It then obviously went on through the, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. It, so went, on, yeah. it decided national championships, definitely conference championships. Great rivalry. It's going to be rekindled this weekend in Oklahoma. Uh, and so, Chris... Nebraska is a 22 and a half point dog on the, in this case. Yep. Uh, I'm not asking you if you were going to bet this one, but do you think there's any chance Nebraska can cover in this game? Could cover in the game? Yeah. 22 I think they and can, a half points. I think they can lose by less than 22 and a half points. Now, <laughs> how that, sad have we come where that is right. a talking point. Nebraska can maybe cover a 22 and a half point right. spread. It could be a close. Oh, game. that's embarrassing. But I also think, right. I also subscribe to the any given Sunday idea, right. That on any given Saturday, a team could show up and show out. Do right. I, do I always, you know, the chances may be low, but they're never zero. So I think, I, I think right. that it could, it would be fun, right? Uh, a rivalry game like this, re redoing the game of the century, like having this fun, having that, that vibe to it in Oklahoma and Nebraska coming in and cleaning their clocks. I think that wouldn't be an amazing time for all, except for Oklahoma. I think I, that, I, I think it'd be great. And it would be great for the Nebraska program as well. Do I think it's highly likely I, I would put my money elsewhere, but you know, there's never been anything false about hope. We can do this. I think you're right. I, I you you convinced me. Here's going to be my let's uh, let's go right to our, our betting picks for this upcoming week. Oh, let's do this. Uh, and, and so because um, I want to lead off here with what you just said, Oklahoma versus Nebraska. It's a 22 and a half a point spread. Well, before we get there, let's unpack how we did last week. Oh, and for so sure. I, I made my picks last week. I had three of them. Uh, you had five. We start off with five hundred dollars. I went one for two. The only game that I won was I picked the KC Cleveland game at 52 and a half. I said, it's over. Mm -hmm. It did go over. Uh, it was 33, 29. And so uh, that was the only game I won. I picked the bears Rams under at 44 and a half. That did not go well, but nope. the worst one was I bet against your team, the Arizona Cardinals. I picked Tennessee over uh, the Arizona Cardinals, and boy, did I miss that one by a mile. You did. So I'm down to $490. Dude. You, on the other hand, started out at 500 and you went 5-0 and last week. And so you know what? You know what you're talking about. How did you go 5-0? and well, what, was your, what was your theory? Well, what worked for you last week? Man, my, my prayer... There was lots of prayer about my gambling and <laughs> right, put that out right. there. No, I, you know, I, I, I made choices based on 
what I felt would be realistic results. Yeah, I didn't let okay. a lot of my – I mean, granted, I did allow emotion to get into the 49er game, but that wasn't hard because, again, we're playing Detroit. It's not right. like we were going up against the Bucks. So Exactly. And – uh, knowing that this is early on in the season, they're going to try to show they're wanting to, to run up the score. They want to show, you know, they want to move up in power rankings. They want to move up in, um, in viability. So I, th- I think that the offenses were going to be on fire. So I won just because I played the over under on the Niner game and the, the over under was like 40 something points. I want to say it was like 43, 44 points. And and coming out of that first game, the the Niners and the um the Lions, they were well into the seventy point range. Right, right. right. And, right. and it was because the Niners showed up and then the Niners did a Niner thing and they allowed the Detroit Lions to almost mount a comeback. I'm not gonna lie, I was a little stressed there going into the, the final parts of the game watching the Niners fall apart. But again, the the over under was forty something and the Niners scored forty one points. So I picked right. that was an easy bet, right? I, I knew it was gonna be a high scoring game. Um is that an early indication that there's gonna be a high scoring year this year in the NFL and so you should be betting the overs for the first couple of weeks. I wonder we'll have to watch that and see. I, I do think you you did see a lot of penalties not being called last week, some obvious penalties not being right. called, and so um, uh, maybe that's a, an indication. But you went five and zero last week. That I, that is impressive. You are up to five hundred and fifty dollars. So I have my work cut out for us. Yeah, got that All new right. Tesla coming. Exactly, and so I, I got to drive around town like Aaron Rodgers and uh, Chris <laughs> Marone. Uh, but nonetheless, um, that my first pick is going to be Nebraska is going to cover the 22 and a half points. Now, I don't for know, sure. Chris, if this is me for begging sure. my heart, but I do have some solid reasons for this. Oklahoma just tends to underperform. They do. Right. Uh, the bigger games, they don't come out blazing. Uh, you know, you can think about them in the playoffs. They they get off to a huge deficit. They might come back a little bit. The f- opening week this year was against Tulane. I forget who they played. They barely beat them. They held right. on at the last minute. They had to, uh, and for, to secure that win. Oklahoma just continually underrepresents in the big games. And Nebraska, on the other hand, tends to overperform in the big games. I think Scott Frost is a good Xer and Oer. He knows how to to game plan. He is horrible with discipline. So yes, we will fumble the ball on the last drive. Uh we will have some off you know we'll jump off sides or false start on offense in the most important part of the game. That's just what Nebraska does. We're horribly disciplined but we, we will have a good game plan. So I think we will cover the 22 and a half points. Uh any thoughts on that? I I 100% think that they're going to cover it. I I don't think for a second that Nebraska is going to lose by 22 and a half points. I don't think I think they'll be within a touchdown. That's this is okay. This is you know inspiration coming to me right now as we sit here and I look at some numbers here um, as we're talking. I think they're going to come within 10 points. I think it's going to be a close game. And I agree with you on Oklahoma. They're going to come to Nebraska, and I think they're going to even be a little more relaxed. Right, they're going to come in. They're ranked number three. Nebraska's unranked. The game, I don't the game think is in Oklahoma. Be, the game's in Norman. The game's in. I don't. I, I. I. Hometown crowd. I think they're going to let that sort of stuff get to their head. Like they're going to enjoy the festivities of the rivalry game and kind of lose it on the field. That's my hope. I, that's my. I think that's right. my prediction. But I also think that they're going to win, just not by twenty-two plus points. Oh, I, I, yeah, there's no shot. No, there's no doubt in my mind uh, Oklahoma is going to win this game because Nebraska right. is the best 
at learning how to lose games. I, I think the stat was like the last year they've lost eight games by yeah. eight points or less, by less than a touchdown. We know how to play a game close, but we will lose that game. And, and so I think, yeah, put your yeah. money on Nebraska. But keep in mind, Chris, the whole reason why we are doing this, number one, this is the intersection of law and sports. The Supreme yep. Court gave us sports gambling. Yep. We might as well take advantage of it. Secondly, is to teach the young kids, don't do this. We are idiots. Yeah. We have no idea. The Bible says a fool and his money are soon parted. Yep. That's what we're trying to prove here. And so, uh, yeah, but nonetheless, go take Nebraska and the 22 and a half points. My second pick is Denver minus the six at Jacksonville. I don't Ooh. think Urban Meyer is going to figure this out by week two. I think not at all. Not maybe at, at some all. point in time he'll figure it out. Denver is on a roll. Teddy Bridgewater is a great addition to that team. They had this thing rolling. I think they're going to cover that touchdown at Jacksonville. Too easy. They are hundred percent going to cover that. Jacksonville is not figuring anything out. Trevor Lawrence right, is good. trying. He's trying, but he's not going to get there after one experience. All right. This next one is I'm a little bit more uneasy about. I feel good about the first two. San Fran minus the three and a half at Philly. Oh, on this one, I am the the line is 50. And I think this is going to be a close, a, a low scoring affair. I'm going totally under is. 50. I think Philadelphia had a great first week. Um, but they got a quarterback. Uh, it's, um, uh, is it heard what, what his name from the Oklahoma quarterback also at Alabama? Uh, his um, name escapes me. It does escape Jalen hurts. Jalen hurts. Jalen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there, is there a quarterback? And I think he's going to have an off week this week. He had a stellar week, week one, yeah. but I follow his career. Cause I'm a big Jalen hurts fan, even though I can't remember his name, right? He does. He, he's not as consistent as I would like to see. And so I think he's going to have a down week this week. San Fran, we know Jimmy Garoppolo is he's, he's very mundane. A quarterback. He is going to be down. I'm going to take the under 50 in that game. Okay. I'm down with that. Yeah. All right, go with that. All right, my, my yeah. next pick. So that's my that's my three. My fourth one is is Cowboys and at Chargers. The line here kind of surprised me. Chargers are favored by three in this game. It's at home. Ooh. But I think Dak Prescott is ready to go on fire here. I think he's going to pull this one. I think the Cowboys are going to win this game outright. So I'm going to take Cowboys plus the three points. And then my final game, because I have to do it, Kansas City over Baltimore. Kansas City is favored by three and a half. The over-under is 54 and a half. Chris, I'm going to take over 54.5. Whenever the Chiefs play a national game, and this is a national game, that's okay. going to be Sunday night, I believe. Uh, everyone's watching. The Chiefs come to play. Their offense will be on fire. We'll have trick plays. We'll treat this as, as if it were the Super Bowl game. Uh, well, maybe let's say a conference championship game. We're going to be right. on fire this game, and we're going to be scoring. We won't be stopping anyone from scoring, but you better believe we're going to score. I think we're going to go well over the 54 and a half points. So those are my five picks. Oh, those are I, those are some pretty solid picks there. That that hmm. I thought them through. You you really did. You really did. Uh, I I have the same take on the Niners. I'm I'm going to talk about the Niners every week. That's just who I'm going to be, because I on, so, a, on a wing and a prayer. I'm gonna I'm gonna be with the Niners all week, every week. I'm gonna be watching them intently. I want to see where the the dynasty goes. So I'm gonna agree so what, with you on you, the Niners. What are you going to take though? You, I I took the under. Are you going to take San Fran over Philly? No. Or you? I'm taking the under. 
You're taking the under. Okay. I'm thinking the under. Philly has a much better defense. Niners are going to develop. It is what I, I definitely am. I'm taking the, that's a high, that's a high number, right? They're at 50. That's a high number for me for a Eagles Niners game. I think it's going to okay. be, be, be better than that. The game All that right. I'm, I'm really excited about. There's actually two of them and he didn't touch on them, which was nice. I'm glad we didn't rehearse this beforehand. The first one is going to be what I like to call the 328 game. That's going to be Falcons at Buccaneers. It's going to okay. be the Falcons versus Tom Brady again. And for those of you at home who remember, the Falcons were up 328 in the Super Bowl and the Patriots came back and That's walloped right. them pretty hard. So anytime I see the Falcons take on Tom Brady, I always think of 328. And so the 328 game, the Bucks are favored by 13 points. 13. And the over under is 52. So I'm picking the Bucks. Like I'm just picking the Bucks here. I don't think they're going to cover the spread. I think that the Falcons are going to lose just not by 13 points. Okay. So you're going to take the Falcons right. um, minus the 13 points. I uh, think right. they're going to cover the spread. Right. But I also think that it's going to be over 52. So I'm doubling oh, on this one. You're taking the over on that one as well. Over, over 52, 52 okay. but the Falcons lose by like 10 or less. It's going to be a high scoring affair. High, high scoring affair. I think Brady is going to put on a show just because it's again, it's the 328 game. But I think the Falcons aren't going to let it. They're not going to play. So I think it's going to be really good. I got you down for that. Perfect. And then I want to do the battle of the rookie quarterbacks, Jets, Patriots. Interesting. Right? Okay. You got, you got Zach Wilson with the Jets. Didn't have a great showing his first week. You got the Patriots showing up, seeing what they got going on. Now the Patriots are the favorite, of course. Um, five points though. 5.5. 5. Wow. So you're, who are you taking? I'm going to take the Jets. You're going to take the Jets to This is my again. wild card bet. I'm taking the Jets to win, but I'm going to take it at the under. So the Patriots Jets are 43 is the over under. I'm going to take the Jets covering the spread, winning, and it's going to be less than a 43 combined total. I, I like that under on uh, 43 and a half. You know, it's going to be a low scoring affair. Right. Uh, and so I, I like that. Cause that would be like a 20, 22, 23, 20 kind of game. Right. Yeah. I think they're going to score underneath that. I, I, I think you're right on that. You're going to go under on the jets of uh, Patriots. Uh, and you're also picking the jets to cover. All right. Well, next um, week we're going to unpack, see how well we did. I am going to be on a cruise ship next week or in Aruba anyways. And so ooh. we're going to have a lot of fun doing this podcast next week. We'll see how that goes. It might be a shorter version of the podcast. I am Maybe. not sure, but Hey, I'll have a lot of, I'll try to talk to you while I'm sunning out there in some cruise ship or on some beach. Is we'll our intro going to be the beach boy song? Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, come on. It. You got to get that snippet. That's got to be the intro next week. All right, we'll do it. If not, I'll have you sing it. I, I think we're good to go either way. <laughs> that would be perfect. So, well, lastly, this podcast is supposed to be about where sports and law <laughs> intersect. We've already talked one way this week where sports and law intersect. That would be sports gambling. All right. Yep. A second way we talked about it was we talked about conference realignment, and, and I didn't give you my hot take on that one, but I looked up the definition of loyalty. Whenever you have a partnership, <laughs> there is a duty of loyalty. I, it says this, the fiduciary duty requires that a partner hold the interest and success of the partnership as a whole in higher regard than their 
personal interest. And so this basic concept, and I know there are some exceptions in the, under the law, I get that, but the basic concept of the duty of loyalty is what I have a problem with with this conference realignment. It yeah. bothers me. It gets to my in my crawl space that these teams, these universities, are setting an example for the next generation by saying, yes, we can screw our brothers here, our sisters, our sister colleges, because it's better for us. That goes against the duty of loyalty. And so I know you have your legal exceptions. I don't want to hear it. It's just does not fit well in my crawl space uh, or sit well. And then the last area that sports and law intersects, which we forgot to cover, and we alluded to it last week, was in regards to how sports, from the public's perspective, seems to cover up criminal, alleged criminal All conduct. All the it, time. It does. It does. It's like, oh, this person allegedly committed some crimes. That's mm -hmm. horrible. That's bad. But you know what? He is now rehabilitated because he scored a TD last week. And so we're very happy with that. And so this week's example of that was, drum roll, do you know who I'm going to talk about? Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown last week had an incredible week for the um, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm reading his stats right now. Five reception, it. 121 yards, 24.2 average, one TD. The long was 47. Yes, he has fully rehabilitated himself from his alleged sexual assault days. By the way, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek here. We don't care anymore because he scored a TD. Again, I got to say... Tongue in cheek, I do not believe that, but that is how the public seems to perceive these elements. So any parting thoughts as we go about our weekend of sports watching? You will always get a buy if you are an entertainer, 100%. The, yeah. the attention span of news media and American public is so short, it doesn't matter. Antonio Brown, he scored, and I think what's indicative of this is I went into my fantasy league this week, and looked at my fantasy team and Antonio Brown got added by something like 10,000 people this week to their starting okay. lineup after his success wow. this last week. And he was benched last week. Now in one of the leagues I play and there's an auto draft and one of the, one of my players was Antonio Brown who got auto drafted. And I was you know smart enough to put him in this week and got his 38.2 points. Right. But now you're seeing a big uptick and I bet you, you could ask a thousand NFL fans right now what crime he was accused of and no one would know. You may get like four, right? but you're not going to get a lot of people. Luckily you'd have to ask people that actually know who Antonio Brown is, that he's a football player, but they wouldn't know. They would not understand what he's done or, or what's going on. They just understand that he had a 38 point fantasy week and he killed right. it. Exactly. And exactly. so it's what have you done for me this Sunday? Yes. Not even this lately. All, this all speaks to a Houston quarterback, uh, Deshaun Watson. Right. Once he gets back on the field and he gets some TDs under his belt, the public will look the other way. It's not right, but that is what's going to happen. You know it. I know it. That's just simply how uh, sports tends to work. All right. Well, well you know and what? this week, too, I just want to touch on the fraud scheme, right? This, this week, three NFL players pled guilty to defrauding the NFL player pension fund for right. like eight or nine years and millions of dollars and no one cares. They don't care. You're right. They don't care at all. That, that, 
that we forgot to touch on that story. That is where sports and law intersects. Well, maybe pick up on that story more this next week. That would be um, good. There were a couple really big players involved with that defraud thing. They again, they pled guilty. One was a former running back for uh, the Denver Broncos, uh, Davis. Yeah, uh, was one of them. And sure. the other one was a Chiefs. Punt returner, wide receiver. He scored a ton of touchdowns. Uh, right now, his name escapes me. Vanover, I believe it was his name. Uh, but nonetheless, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting that they pled guilty. And that story's kind of already off the headlines. And so it is as if it didn't happen. All right. Exactly. Well, you know what? Let's have a great week watching football. Go Nebraska. Can I get you to say go Big Red? Go Big Red. There you go. All right. Talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Joel. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm-hmm.